0: Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Rob Staten. He is a BBC Yorkshire sports journalist. He can tell you more about his work there, but I found him uh, because he runs the Seahawks Draft Blog website, Uh, and there he's written uh, some of the most in-depth analysis of Seahawks draft picks that I've ever seen. He's really good at breaking down the players uh, that they drafted using this formula to predict who they will take in the next draft. Um, So we'll talk about who the Seahawks could take, who he likes, um, who he thinks is overrated, and he'll also explain how he became a Seahawks fan since he lives in England. Um, I had a blast doing this interview. I could talk Seahawks and the draft for hours. And I think if you like football, especially the Seahawks, I think you're going to enjoy this one too. You ready to do this?
1: Yeah, all good to go, man.
2: Okay,
0: cool. All right. Well, welcome Rob Staten to my... uh, podcast here you're a journalist for the bbc yorkshire sports is that correct
1: yeah uh bbc yorkshire yeah
0: yeah so w- tell me about uh, uh what you do there because i don't know a lot about your work there i mean obviously i know your work on seahawks draft blogger but i don't know your work for the bbc so i'm a sports
1: journalist and um host for um probably about 10 years on a on a popular football so soccer football phone in over here and then um I've, I've switched over to sort of the tv side of things now um and i'm a i'm a sports journalist but because of obviously the world there's not a lot of sport going on at the moment uh, right. with the pandemic, so i've <laughs> kind of switched to being a news journalist at the moment but wow. um, hopefully hopefully the sport will get back uh, to normal soon
0: yeah well obviously you didn't grow up in seattle um you're a sports journalist and then um so when did you get interested in american football and why the seahawks of all teams because I don't think they played so, in I, England for a while.
1: <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, I I used to live in Vancouver, so I oh, um, did. I yeah, I used to live in Vancouver, and then I you know, I used to I've been to Seattle a few times. And then we we went to a game, and just like you know any other person going to a game for the first time, just you know we became obsessed with the team. Really enjoyed that first experience. Came back to follow the team here. Um, and I've followed them ever since and that was 15 years ago.
0: 15 years. So you do you remember the game which one it was? I had season tickets back in the uh, back in the early well back in when they were at, when it was called Quest Field.
1: Yeah, so um it was it was a Monday night football game. It was let me think so it was 14 years 14 years ago. So it was it was the snow game against Green Bay. Um, oh. Brett Favre, if you remember that one. Um Seahawks won the game. It was it was quite an entertaining game. Snowed very heavily. Um, the story around the game is that I kind of got tickets. We um, we bought them from like uh, I think it was like Razor Gator or something like that to to go oh, to yeah. the game. Sure. And um, and so my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, we went to the game and we were looking. We got to the stadium and we were looking for row SR. I mean, we couldn't find it. We went all the way to the back of quest fields it was known at the time couldn't find the seats anywhere um and we were asking the you know the, the people there um the helpers like where's row sr and they were saying i've never heard of a row sr <laughs> we've well, we got into the stadium so there must be a row sr because the tickets worked you know yeah, we, we hadn't yeah. been given some dodgy you know it, 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 anyway eventually found somebody who knew what row sr meant and it was standing room only
2: mm. um so um uh, right so
1: my old friend, now wife at the time, who had no interest in American football, I had to break the news to her that we had to stand on a number um, <laughs> in in the snow um, oh, for, for four hours. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I loved every. I loved every second of it and she was, she was not as keen, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was hooked ever, ever since then, you know, follow the team and, and try and get back to Seattle as often as possible.
0: That is awesome. So do you feel like American football or soccer is more exciting and why?
1: Well, I think, you know, they're both, I, I, I don't really want to um, say one's better than the other. You know, when I was, up, I thought that soccer was the best sport in the world. I mean, it was just. You know, it, 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 there's no stops. You know, you don't have a series of plays and then a set of ad breaks right. in the middle of a soccer game. But at the same time, the thing about American football is it's maybe a little bit more physical. Um, you have sort of amazing things happen on a play-to-play basis, which you can...
2: Yeah. And, and the
1: statistical side of things is so much better. I mean, in soccer, all you have is goals and assists, right. you know, clean sheets. So who's not conceding the goals? Who's scoring the goals? Whereas in American football, I just love the the way that you can dig into the numbers and stuff like that and it is a real mix between the physicality and the tactical side of things whereas in soccer it, it really is I, I think it's probably more skill orientated so, but I, you know nothing nothing is better than i i wouldn't want to separate the two things to I me mean, watching england at a world cup yeah. is is the most exciting thing in the world you know when england beat colombia on penalties at the last world cup a couple of years ago it was an amazing experience, you know, watching England get to the semifinals. Yeah. But um, live wise watching the Seahawks win a Super Bowl was really special as well. So mm. you know, I, I I like both sports. So for you, I'm it's a like,
0: Chris. it's comparable, then. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I just cannot get into. And Seattle even has a soccer team. I don't know if you follow the Sounders at all, right. but I just can't get into it. I don't know. I have to. I, I give another yeah, shot. I I'll try I, anything, I, but
1: it's. A, <laughs> I I think. Um, I think it's a, it's it's like a lot of things, you know. I I kind of watch any sport, so um, I'm a huge cricket fan. You know, we we love cricket over here.
0: That's kind of like baseball. It's England baseball, right? Like the, the their yeah. version of it. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, it's a little bit. I'd say it's probably a little bit more refined. That's not a no disrespect to anybody who likes baseball.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: there are a lot of different aspects of cricket, whereas you know, in baseball, it's it's it pretty is it is what it is sort of thing. Um, yeah. But um. You know, we we, we play Australia every four years in a thing called the Ashes. Um, And that is really popular over here. You know, we we love to beat Australia. They love to beat us. Um, And and then there's the rugby side of things as well. You know, I can watch all of those sports. Love American football. You know, I lived in Vancouver, so I have to show a little bit of interest in ice hockey. And, um, you know, I I, I, I went to watch the Sonics play in Seattle as well. Oh, cool disappeared to Oklahoma City so yeah uh, you know i I'm kind of I'm kind of a bit of a geek when it comes to sports you know, I, kinda, <laughs> I, can, I can pretty much watch anything
0: that's cool so what made you decide to start the Seahawks blog page it was about twelve years ago right
1: yeah so the what it was was it was a New Year's Eve from off I was kind of finding something to do um you know when I say it was New Year's Eve it wasn't like ten to twelve or anything like that you know the clock was not, it wasn't a counting down to midnight. Um, it was, it was, it was some time, like lunchtime or something. and I was just killing time. Um, I was at home and the Seahawks, it was, so I started it during the 2008 season. And kind of what it was, was the Seahawks were going to end up finishing four and 12. Right. Um, Twitter, Twitter was not a thing back then. You know, that you really, if you wanted to stay connected to the Seahawks, you had Mike Sando's blog on the Tacoma News Tribune. And that was, that was it. And blogs were kind of a thing. You know, they were quite a popular thing at the time. Right. And I just thought, wouldn't it be really good to have, a, a, you know, like a one-stop shop website where you could go and all of the information that you wanted on the... Because C- the Seahawks were going to... There was nothing to look forward to. They were, they were winning four games that year. Yeah. But the draft was the one thing that people yeah. could focus on and a distraction. So, like, let's put something here. And it started out it was was um, a series of links to various mock drafts. This mm. guy thinks the Seahawks... Mel Kuyper thinks they will draft this guy, you know, Tom McShay said this today, this report's come out about this guy. Um, I had a guy um, called Kyle who knew a lot more about the prospects than I did. Who was writing about it, at we you know, when it first started out. And then gradually over time, it just kind of expanded and expanded and then, uh, you know, upgraded the website and then um, became more and more involved, you know, actually watching the players and, scout them and give my own opinion on them. And, um, you know, hmm. what, you know two, 12 years later, it's still going strong. So yeah, wow. it's been a big, big part of my life. It's been like my second full-time job for the last
0: 12 years. So. Yeah. I think you are the expert in the field, in my opinion of all the, I mean, I love the draft. I love the Seahawks. I always go to your page if I want to know, you know, what I think the Seahawks are going to do. I mean, that being said, you, you know, you're kind of an insider. You're definitely more of an insider than me. You've, you've interviewed players, media, people, management, um, what is your thought about the upcoming NFL season season? Do you think that it's going to happen? I mean, I think in my opinion, there's three scenarios. One is it, it starts on time with full crowds. Everything's normal Two, it's either going to be late or have reduced or no crowds. And then the third option is the whole season's canceled. Which one of you, those three do you think will happen?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the financially there probably will be a season. I think financially it will probably be too um, costly to not have any season, but then of course you've got to be safe. And the, you know, I'm not, I have to say, I'm not up-to-date completely with the situation in the States right now with the coronavirus. I know over here, they're talking about starting the, the soccer season again um, probably in around July time and, and and having the players you know play behind closed doors, which means no fans. Um, and I think that's kind of the widely established what is going to happen is we're going to see there's a lot of sports in this country that are gearing up to start again soon. Um, and we are seeing in other countries that the sports are starting to, to start again, but it's, it's not going to be with fans. So if I was going to put hmm. any kind of money on it right now, I'd probably say that there will be an NFL season, but there won't be any fans in the stadium.
0: So you don't think they could do like social distancing and just have six feet between all the fans? Because those stadiums are huge.
1: Yeah, I mean, potentially. So I think you just have to be so careful with this thing. The problem yeah. the NFL's got is that, you know, if it's the NBA – you can play in an arena which is empty. You can test 10 players and you can go and play a game of basketball. Um, with the NFL, you have these like, entourage of staff and coaches and uh, equipment guys and doctors. And then you've got you know, a 53 man roster that has to travel. And, and
2: right.
1: it's, it's just a lot more people already right off the bat, which will make it a, a difficult proposition. But you know, the NFL has got enough money to test all of the players, to sure. isolate the players who have got the disease. It's, I just think it's the fan side of things. And again, I'm not completely up to date with where where you guys are with the virus. Um, there's, there's a feeling in England that the peak's going to come pretty soon um, and that they might, within the next sort of three weeks, start to ease some of the lockdown measures that we have in this country. And if that is the same with the States, then you know the NFL season schedule to start in September, that's quite considerable time away. Um, they could probably delay another month if they needed that. Yeah. And then they could they could potentially play. Without fans, I think probably what they would do is maybe pipe in some crowd noise in some way so that Mm -hmm. home teams Mm -hmm. can still have that little bit of an advantage there. Um, I wonder if if they would be the same.
0: Yeah, I wonder if they would give teams uh, additional players because what if somebody on the team did get the coronavirus? Then they could infect all the other team members. Wouldn't you need some, or you need to quarantine some people that may have it, even if they have no symptoms? So then you'd have to bring up some other players. I mean, I know they have the practice squad, but that's not very, I and mean, you think they might expand the practice squad or something?
1: Yeah, I think they probably will be allowed. I, I suspect there will be some kind of measure, you know, like an extra injured reserve spot
2: or something yeah, like that. Something.
1: So that anybody, anybody who is diagnosed with the disease will then have to go and isolate and and be away from the team for at least a couple of weeks. Um, And therefore, you will be able to call somebody else up, I would imagine, in a standard way. And then when that player is ready to return and and part of the group again, then it's as if they're returning from injured reserve. I think that's probably what they will do. Yeah.
0: Well, I know there's going to be a draft, and for me, growing up as a Seahawks fan, um, kind of like you said, that 2008-4-12 and 12 season, they were often pretty bad. So I'd often read, read in the newspaper, you know, next year is going to be the year, and that would always get me excited about the draft and the new players. And then I just fell in love with the draft process itself and just seeing where all these players go. And then, I mean, if you look back and, you know, Tom Brady, every team passed on Tom Brady multiple times, and it just gets, it's so exciting to see where these guys are going to go. What else do you love specifically about the draft? Because you could have done your blog just about the Seahawks, but you sp- specifically chose the, the draft portion, right?
1: Yeah, I, I think the thing that I like about it is that every single fan in the NFL has a reason to tune in and, and have something to react to. I mean, it's very unique in that, you know, when free agency starts, you have a handful of teams who are very, very busy who will go and spend the money and sign the big names and then you have a whole host of teams who don't do anything. You know, they, they're they inactive almost every single year. Yeah. Whereas when the draft comes around, everybody is going to, every team is going to draft somebody at some stage. There's going to be something interesting. There's a reason to watch It's great entertainment to see where, especially for me, you know, like having spent months and months and months, I mean, like some of these guys have been watching, you know, even last year because they could have declared a year ago and then they return for a senior season or another season in college football. You've watched these guys for like, Two or three years and then you get to see where they end up in the nfl and how they fit and you
2: yeah. know follow their
1: stories and and there's all the drama of it you know but
2: mm-hmm.
1: the surprise moves that you don't expect there's always something there's always a headline of some description it never goes according to plan like this draft for example who the hell knows where <laughs> to attack is going to go right you know it could it could be a top 10 pick you could slip out of the first round because of this hip injury i mean like nobody knows and you, yeah. and you sort of look at the media, and even they don't know, you know, you've got some guys put him in the top five and some guys put him, you know, falling and then some guys put him in the teams and say, but he could fall or he could go. Nobody's got a, an idea. So we get to find out, you know, all these things that you talk about for months and months, where's yeah. this guy going to go? Would they draft him? Would they draft him? And then you get answers and then yeah. you get to analyze it. So That's I think true. it's just, it's, it's a really unique thing and a, you know, a great event. Um, and, you know, it's, it's always, it's always fun to see how it all unfolds.
0: Yeah. So what goes into analyzing the draft picks for you? Cause clearly you do your homework with the workouts and the tape and the measurables and all that thing. But what about the mental thing? Cause I think that's such a big piece. Um, you look at a lot of the best draft picks, even guys that um, that we've had on the Seahawks who are overlooked because they didn't have the right physical measurables, but they got the work ethic and the determination like uh, Richard Sherman, Russell Wilson. Like how do you analyze that stuff? Do you listen to a lot of the interviews? Because players kind of always say the same thing. They always say they want to win. Winning is everything blah 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 but like how do you kind of do you ever take that into account when you when you're analyzing prospects like this just this guy's got the it factor or the determination
1: yeah definitely i mean one of the things you can do is, is like you said watch the interviews and there are a lot of generic interviews out there but you can get a feel for certain players i mean I, one that i remember distinctly was deandre hopkins when he was at Clemson. Yeah. So in 2013, and he, he lasted into the 20s. But when you watched his interviews and he would sit down and, and I, think, I think they played LSU in a bowl game. I think they beat LSU in, a, in his final game, which was a bowl game for Clemson. And someone asked him, how did you do this and how did you beat this guy in coverage? And he just broke down the defense was doing, you know, what his role was, the root concept and everything like that. And, you know, I wrote an article saying what a great you know i, I just everything about him is, is great and the fact that he can give an answer like that reveals a lot about him that he understood football he had a high football iq and that he would probably adjust to the league a little bit quicker than some others because he was he had that sort of capacity to break down that and look, clem all of clemson's receivers are well coached but he seemed especially knowledgeable in what the scheme was and what the defense was doing so you can pick up little things like that huh. you can you there, there is it's about finding the the sources are, you know, I think it's about identifying the people to listen to. So Tony Pauline is somebody who I know very well. And, you know, he's a great, great guy, but he's a fantastic insider. And he through, you know, he doesn't just do this three weeks before the draft starts. Like a lot of the media do. Mm-hmm. He's doing this, you know, 12 months of the year and he will just produce information constantly throughout the year about who are the, who are the high character guys. Who are the guys the teams have concerns about? Just reports and info throughout the college season, throughout the summer, and you can just pick things up and you can learn stuff from people like that. And then the other thing is just sort of, it's it's finding out those backstories. You know, who has overcome it? And like people, I think sometimes mistake simple things like, I don't know, a personal tragedy or something like mm, that
2: yeah. as,
1: as, as showing grit. That's not always what, grit is. You know, that can be grit, Mm -hmm. but things happening to you in life that are not good is not grit alone.
0: It's how you react to it, right? I mean, just like, you know, if you're a quarterback and you're going to get hassled by the media, you're going to lose, you're going to have bad games. How do you handle, like Ryan Leaf, classic example, as soon as he started losing, I mean, it was just downhill. Like, he never crawled back from that. So, it's like how you handle the adversity, I think, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's about Say you know, having that determination and that will to say, I'm I've got all these odds stacked against me, and I'm going to make it happen. You know, and two of the, the players that I've interviewed this draft season, one of them was Robert Hunt, and you know, people go and check out his Twitter timeline or go and check out NFL They've put together an amazing video of the adversity that he had. Um, there was a hurricane where he lived. He lived in a trailer which was destroyed. He then, uh, you know, he had sort of Dan had to raise thirty dollars go to a, a football camp or something um, and he could only raise $22 but he went along with the $22 anyway and they let him play and all the other guys oh. were in cleats and pads and he had a t-shirt and shorts on and And, and he managed to get a, a scholarship to Louisiana Lafayette. You know when I interviewed him he, he was playing on a team with a high school team with 12 players and he had to play offense and defense. Um, when, when he was talking about when he got the scholarship offer for Louisiana Lafayette he, he broke down in tears on the NFL.com video because he was like getting emotional just thinking of the, you know, how hard he worked to get to that point. And this was, he wasn't crying because he made it to Alabama or LSU or anything like that. Yeah. He was crying because he made it to Lafayette. And, wow. you know, and when I see that, and then I watch the tape and I see this, this huge right tackle beating everybody up and fantastic in the run game and he's just an exceptional player.
2: That's grit. Wow. You know,
1: that's, you know, and, and it's, it's like that, you can say that is, that is, when they are talking about grit and the, and the kind of player that the Seahawks love—that's who it is. It's a yeah. guy like that.
0: That's amazing. So, um, that's You've got to go it, and yeah. try and find those stories. And how do you learn how to? Besides the mental piece, that—that's amazing. Listening to that story, way you tell that. But how do you learn to analyze all the draft picks? and the numbers for the Seahawks? Because is this something you just figured out? Because I've never seen I've, – I've watched Mel Kuyper. I you know, watch all those draft experts, Mike Mayock, all those guys. But they never break down – you break down these measurables. I don't know how you figure this stuff out. And you're like, the Seahawks never draft people with arms under 33 inches long or whatever the, the cutoff is. Like, how did you figure all that stuff out? Because I've never seen anyone else do that. Is that just a numbers analysis that you just kind of like randomly kind of just looked at all the draft picks and figured it out? Or –
1: yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it's nothing particularly special by behalf. It's just sort of, you know, we, we, I, if you go back and like, who have they drafted at cornerback? They've never, you know, three or four years in with go they've never drafted a cornerback with arms shorter than thirty-two inches, and and you could see that was a trend. And then when, when a trend like that continues and continues and it lasts a decade, then you can pretty much say with some confidence <laughs> that they're probably not going to go down that road. And then there, there's just it's picking up little trends like. They've targeted specifically explosive offensive linemen quite consistently over the last 10 years. Not everybody fits that, yeah. but most of the picks that they have have fit that. So when you see a trend like that, you, you bring it up. And then when it keeps keep going and it keeps going, it, it, it makes you look smart. But really all you're doing is you're saying, this is what they've done in the past. You know, the linebackers, you know, they, they've looked for very specific things at different positions. And, um, you know, we have, we're very lucky in Seattle that there's been, you know, a regime worth keeping around for a decade to enable us to have that, that information. Like if you were, if you're a Jets fan and you've had three GMs in the last five years, you can't, how can you pick up (laughs) any trends of GM when you're changing the GM every couple of years? That's
0: a good point. um, and,
1: And there's a lot of teams like that.
0: Definitely. Yeah. No, but that's really cool that you like I've just never cuz I again, I've been reading articles about the Seahawks in the draft, you know, back when there were still newspapers. And I remember even when I was a little kid, I've never seen anybody analyze the picks like that. It's very cool. So, um going back to kind of like the, you know, um the coronavirus and stuff how now that's affecting the season. Um with the NFL draft presentation, like how do you think the teleconference style of the draft is going to be this year. Do you think there's going to be less energy and you think it'd be less entertaining to watch because of that? Cause one of the most amazing things about the draft to me is the crowd and everything. I, last year we actually went to the Nashville uh, draft. It was amazing. The energy was just awesome. So do you think that's going to be change the energy of the show?
1: Oh, without a doubt. And you know, I <laughs> love the crowd. you know, I love seeing that crowd. It was, a, it looked like an amazing um, experience in Tennessee. I'm sure you had a, a great time. Oh, it was you know, amazing! Just watching it on TV, yeah. it looked great. And, and you we're know, supposed the, to go to Vegas this in.
0: year, but yeah. cancelled. So.
1: Well, I remember the, I, I think it was in Philadelphia the year before, and that that one looked great too.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And and it's definitely going to suffer for that. Um. I was kind of hoping there was at some point. I had this sort of real mental image of it just sort of being a clock on the screen. <laughs> yeah. And it was just ticking down. And then when it got to zero. Roger Goodell would just appear and go um, with a number one overall pick, you know, and, and then and it would just be that because I can live without the the rest of the stuff that comes with these things, you know, the the analysis in bits, the, the talking heads, the some like you, you like for for three or four months, all you have is people like Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay, and then and then these TV broadcasters feel like they've got to bring in someone like Steve Young completely out of the blue just to have a big name, recognizable mm-hmm. pundit in there but he's not studied the draft in a way that Mel has or Todd has or somebody like that. Um, So I can live without, I can live without the presentation side of it. I was really, really pining for just sort of a real um, basic production. Uh, But it seems the NFL network has teamed up with the ESPN and we're going to have, you know, they're going to go all guns blazing for this broadcast um, to make it as interesting as possible with people, essentially jumping in from home all over the place. So as long as they don't tip the picks, that's fine.
0: Yeah. I do like seeing the, uh, the footage of the players. That's always nice. I mean, I've, I've looked at a lot of it already, but, um, you know, it's nice to see it again. And, and then, yeah, sometimes if they do have the draft expert, like when they had Mayoc back at NFL network, he would break down the footage, which you've seen him do a million times too, but it's so cool to see that. Oh, um, Mayo,
1: May- Mayock was just on a kind of different level.
0: You yeah. Know, he was.
1: Wow. You know what? I mean, there was just, that he was just missed Mr. Draft. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, really, really entertaining guy.
0: So what do you think also with the coronavirus uh, not only changed the presentation of the draft but just how the, the teams are drafting because every year there's all these hidden gems. We see the Mel Kuyper drafts and the Mayock draft uh, boards, and there's always all these guys that totally fall because of medical issues and also totally rise that none of the draft experts, quote-unquote, knew about. So how how do you think that'll change things now? Because there won't be as much inside information, right? Yeah,
1: there's this whole host of players that we don't have any information about. You know, they either weren't invited to the Combine, Or when they got to the combine, they didn't do any of the tests because they thought they would just have a pro day in a few weeks. And then obviously the world's been changed and they've not had a chance to do that. You know, usually you have, I probably say a list of about 30 or 40 players who have really excelled at pro days Mm
2: -hmm. that weren't
1: on anybody's radar, maybe smaller school guys. And you can list all these guys and we don't have any of those names now. So, you know, how are teams going to judge this? It's, it's, and and also that the medical side of things, like there are going to be certain players who have, have issues flagged up but the teams are not going to be able to bring them into their facility and have their a look at them. So you might find boards even smaller than, than in previous years. We could see a series of big names falling a lot further than anybody's expecting, purely because teams go, well, we have this guy here who we know is, a, is we've given a pass and a clean bill of health to, but the player could go either way with his health. So which player are you going to draft? And that could just happen. That could just be a trend that goes on and on and on because I'll tell you what teams don't want to do. They don't want to draft somebody, get that guy in for a medical in, in, the, in the days after the draft and then him fail his medical. Right. Because then what do you do? Because yeah. you, you can't cut the player. Let's say you drafted someone at 17 and then he mm. failed his medical. You're not going to cut that guy. You're, no. you're presumably going to sign him. So you're going to sign a player that you otherwise wouldn't sign or draft. Wow. Um, but you can't cut them, otherwise you look like a laughingstock in front of your, your fan base. And, and what's the owner going to say? Like, what are you doing? You just wasted a first-round pick.
0: Well, so, um, if, I, if they fail the medical, though, couldn't it also just be that they maybe couldn't play that year? It's not like we're going to have, like, see, you know, career-ending injuries. A lot of these things they can bounce back from, right?
1: Well, some of the medicals, it what it will be is it will be things like with Miles Jack. It, it won't necessarily be That um they can't play immediately. It might be that they might only last three or four years, and that's and it's it's if you have a degenerative knee knee injury, which with a lot of guys, a lot of guys who fall have these knee issues that people anticipate could be a problem down the line, and or like heart conditions, like these are very serious things. Like Montez Sweat was, he fell to like twenty five last year because of a heart problem, Um, and teams would have struck him off the board, but you might draft a guy with a heart problem that's not been detected and y- you might not be able to play him.
2: Hmm.
1: And 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 then what do you do? You know, you, you sign a guy who might, you know, I, I'm sorry to put it as brutally as this, might die on the field
2: if she he's is. got a heart problem. Yeah. And then
1: if you've signed him knowing that, then you're responsible for that. Yikes. So it, it, it becomes a real minefield. And what I think might happen, I, I don't know, none of us don't really know what's going to happen in this. Right. But I could see a situation where, teams just focus on the guys they know about with yeah. some of the help, And you see much less risk taken in this draft. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, everybody still thinks two is going to go early on I don't know how you can draft him early.
0: Yeah, that's that one seems like a gamble. And then I also heard he had a, a very low uh, wonder lick, which is kind of like the IQ test. He had like a 13. At, I think he retook and got a 19, but it's still a little sketchy that he scored a 13 on the, out of, and I think 20's average. 13 was not good i know that <laughs> yeah he's
2: um
1: yeah, he's a hard player to judge overall i mean like on the tape as well you can pick flaws with him and you know all of his interceptions were the same he throws interceptions in the same way that Ryan Tannehill threw, threw interceptions at Texas and which is he kind of throws blind he doesn't see safeties you know hiding in the long grass that and and yes there's a lot of talent there but he also had you know, there's Jerry Judy, there's Henry Ruggs, there's Waddle, there's um, Smith, Devonta Smith, who's probably going to go very early as well next year. Um, you know, a top-class offensive line, a great running back. You know, he, he couldn't have wished for anything more, really. Right. And um, and he kept getting hurt. And he kept getting hurt. And he, and and the, you know you, just, you for me, I would not want to say that's our guy. You know, right, I know uh, for future. That's what I was. I,
0: I'm saying with my friend, I'm like, I'm so glad we have Russell Wilson because I, I mean, other than, you know, unless you could get Joe Bur- Burrow, but I, I'm glad we have Russell Wilson because I wouldn't want to take the gamble on Tua. But what do you think about well, um, the cyber pro days? Like, do you, th- do you, are you a believer in those? Like, I think they said Grant De- Grant Delpit ran like a four point, whatever it was, like ridiculous 40 time on a cyber pro day. Are you a, b- a believer in those? Or do you think those are kind of like, no, man? no. Okay.
1: But- so what what you can do with those things is you can I mean, everybody ran well, no, those There wasn't a single guy who ran that was capable of a read and you know, run of the combine. It's, it, you know, he, it's outdoors, so it, it's probably heavily wind-assisted for a start. In the combine, it's indoors, so there's no wind.
2: Mm. So
1: you know that alone can shave a considerable amount of time off. And hmm. then you have things like a fast track and Stuff like that, and it's it's you know I always it always raises a flag to me when a player is healthy and doesn't run at the combine, then runs particularly well at his pro day because that to me says he's slow and he yeah. knows that he's going to run faster at his pro day. And um, I and there was a lot of guys who you know there's a few guys that have been mocked like Yita Gross Matos didn't run at the combine, he didn't do any of the agility testing at the combine, but he did every single drill every positional drill he did the vertical jump he did the broad jump he did the bench he was healthy he just chose not to run
2: hmm.
1: why was that what's what have you got to hide if i was in a, in a in a room somewhere as a gm or a scout i'd be saying why didn't that guy run he yeah. clearly isn't very fast and um that and that's that's a flag for me he was he was hoping that he could get to his pro day and run a, a lot faster time
0: Interesting. Well let's let's yeah, let's dive into the the prospects then this year. We'll just go through position. So we talked about quarterbacks with Tua. Um but who are your other favorite QBs? Is there any and is there any QBs that you like for the Seahawks? Um obviously not as a starter, but maybe as a backup.
1: Not really. I mean Jalen Hurts when he was sort of later rounds was somebody but he's you know, he's flying up the board and he's gonna probably go around two now. I think that, you know, Steven Montez is is a guy who I think has got some you know, some potential as a as a possible, like, priority-free agent or somebody like that. Um, I-, I could see him maybe even being, like, a seventh-round target. He's got all the talent in the world, which wasn't ever consistent enough at Colorado. And the only other quarterback is, is Jake Luton at Oregon State. I thought that he's got something about him. Again, you're talking late around priority-free agent-type level. Um, but it zips out of his hand, and, and you know, he, he wasn't in the best at Oregon State. He-, he is somebody who I think, you know, could potentially work his way into like, being a backup, something like
0: that. What about uh, Anthony Gordon from Washington? I'm a big Washington State fan, so do you think he has a chance to be a backup maybe? Let's see how Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Look, he had a he had a senior ball. Um, he he looked the ball at the combine as well. You know, yeah. and and the and the one thing that I'd read about I can't remember I read this so I can't give credit to who mentioned it or who noticed it. But apparently he was in the ear of Darryl Bell, full enough um, who is the Lions' offensive coordinator? After every single, you know, portion of practice, what 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 did I need to do here? What what did, what what, what did I look for? You know, trying to pick up advice. And he was like really like a bookworm. He was sort of really in the pocket of Daryl Bell, just trying to find out all of the information that he could. So, um, That's good. So yeah, I, I, I like I like Gordon. I don't think any of these guys. You know, the problem is, is to be a quarterback in the NFL, you have to be amazing.
2: Yeah, and and yeah. a lot of these
1: guys are, are just are just decent. Yeah, um, and um what do you but th- yeah, yeah. A backup, yeah yeah
0: yeah what about awesome. um i had trevor Sycamore, he's a he, he does a draft podcast and um i asked him for who he thought was overrated he said he thinks jordan love is a little bit overrated do you agree with that he's a yeah I, i'm not a utah state yeah I'm,
1: I'm not a huge jordan love fan i mean i, I think that it, it what he does well is he, he does the same thing that you know patrick mahomes does well which is he can take off and on the run flick his wrist and it downfield, you know, and anybody who's trying to find a a Mahomes type, you know, I'm not saying in in any way, shape, or form that he is Patrick Mahomes, but who can do a little bit of the stuff that, you know, you move around, you make the improbable happen, you can do that. The only problem is is that he's a lot more erratic than Mahomes was, you know. Mahomes just had this gunslinger Brett Favre style of play when he was that you just love to watch, whereas Jordan Love is, uh, some of his interceptions are abysmal, like he just, he throw back shoulder and not see the cornerback, you know, like yeah. he throws the same interception over and over and over again. Um, and people say, ah, oh, well he played at Utah state. He just didn't have the, the weapons. So some of these interceptions have got nothing to do with the players he's playing with. It's, it's just bad football, right. uh, bad decision-making. So I worry a little bit for him. That, you know, it sounds a little bit like Miami might be all in on him. Uh-oh. Um, I, w- <laughs> I worry a little bit for that, but, um, you know, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge Jordan Love fan, but I can see why some teams can would convince themselves otherwise.
0: Yeah, uh, again, I'm glad we don't have to worry about that. So let's talk about running backs. Um, I think you and I are on the same page. We both love Jonathan Taylor, I, and it's interesting. You've kind of described again. You're really good at these figuring out what the Seahawks like. So they have a certain type of running back. They're players that are usually five eleven in height, around two twenty in pounds, uh, and they're explosive. Testing in the thirty five inch vertical or more, and uh, ten uh ten foot uh, what is that the uh uh broad jump, is that the, broad jump. The, the broad, broad jump, jump yeah. so the two players you've kind of uh nailed down that fit in those categories are jonathan taylor who i again i love and then cam acres who might be available maybe the third round right
1: yeah so i'd say so and, and i think that cam Akers is essentially you know diets jonathan taylor if that you know what i mean by that like, you, know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know the diet coke version of that yeah so jonathan taylor is your full fat version you know and, and you know he he jonathan taylor is 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 pretty much i think about as close to an ideal seahawks running back as you get. you know I, I say that with it with the caveat that he's not as physical as marshall lynch and if there's one thing that pete carroll really loves is that physical beat you down running back i mean look at the way that you know big chris in the moment chris carson he he is a he physically punishes defenders. Marshawn did that. Thomas Rawls did that. And you know they love that kind of guy. That's not really Jonathan Taylor. But what Jonathan Taylor is, is he's, he's got the ability to accelerate. If you give him any daylight at all, he will accelerate. I mean, he's a four-three speed guy. I mean, this is just incredible. I mean, he's as fast as you know as DK Metcalf really, and 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 he's as fast as the more than the cornerbacks. You know, most of the cornerbacks yeah. in this draft and. You know, to be four three nine, and, you us know, say he gets a crease and he's got. You know, he, he, he's not a 20-yard. He's not, if you give him an opening, he makes 20 yards. He's, if you get to an opening, it's a touchdown for 60 yards. He has more yards at the contact. It takes a lot to bring him down. Um, he is a load to bring down. He will run through you. He can run around you. Um, he doesn't have the, like, the really vicious jump cut that, like, someone like Clyde Edwards-Alaire has or Saquon Barkley. But what he does have is Saquon's speed and his size. And you know, I just think he's a tremendous player. And th- th- there's a large number of Seahawks fans these days <clears throat> who like to make fun of the Seahawks for their desire to run the ball and their interest in running backs early in the draft and stuff like that. Uh, but if you were to come away from this draft with a legitimate top twenty talent, then Jonathan Taylor can be it. I mean, if mm-hmm. he's there at twenty seven or after a small trade now, you're going to get one of the best players in the draft. Can be. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a, probably, a, I'd say, a little bit more physical, but he's not quite as explosive and as, as fast as, as, obviously, Jonathan Taylor is. Yeah. Um, but they're two really good options, and the Seahawks have to draft running back at some stage in this draft.
0: I think so too. Yeah, no, Taylor. I mean, if you go on YouTube and look and type in his highlights, I mean, I don't know how you don't just fall in love with that guy. And he wants to play for the Seahawks because he went to Wisconsin, oh, where man. Russell Wilson went, and so Russell Wilson's like a legend. So he would love to play for us with Wilson. So I, I think it would be amazing have, if they I, took I, him. I, yeah. Have you seen
1: the video that I posted the other yes, day? Yes, I did. Twitter. I just
0: retweeted that. I, yeah, about him saying that he'd want to play with uh, with Wilson. I think he said it twice now. Once at the combine, and then. Um, in another interview recently. So yeah, I'd be excited. So, I mean
1: it was just it was it was unprompted. It, it was yeah. it was it was like he was being asked about the Patriots and he would bring the conversation back to Pete Carroll. <laughs> 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 you know, he re- uh, He really he really I think he really wants to play for the Seahawks and yeah. and you know, I, I kinda like that. You know, it's kind of a fan thing, you know, sure. you want your guys to want to play for your yeah. team. But I, I like that, you know. I kind of want, you know, I want to see guys in, in Seattle who want to be here. Exactly, you know. I kind of yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's disappointing, you know. You, you know the great phone calls where you they, they ring the guys up and go, "Hey, you're a Seahawk, can you?" And like a lot of, I have to say, over the last two or three years, it's been a, you know, the phone rings and the guy picks up and goes, "Hello, hi, John Shiner <laughs> from the Seahawks," and they're like, and they're like, "Huh?" And they're like, <laughs> "We're going to draft you here."
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and
1: they're like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, could you like, be a little like, more excited? more
0: excited? Yeah.
1: Jeez. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm excited, yeah. And he's like, come on, man. You yeah. Know, if it was me. I'd be like, it, it wouldn't matter if the, if the Bengals are drafted me. I'd be like, yes. I know, you know right? I'm Seriously. Know. Well, if they, and, the and, Seahawks and
0: don't take Taylor, I'm at least taking him in my fantasy league because I think he's a stud. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good choice. I think he's, yeah. you know, like, he, he's a quality, quality
0: player. Let's move on to wide receivers. I think there's a lot of exciting wide receivers in this class. Um, you have a list – Um, Because, again, you've kind of narrowed down this formula. They like fast wide receivers. So some of the top names, Henry Ruggs, I think he's going to be gone. But Quez Watkins, Denzel Mims, Darnell Mooney, Devin uh, Duvernay, Antonio Gibson, my favorite, and then Chase Claypool, who's also kind of a tight end. Some of those top names, um, do you think that's somebody that they might take then in one of these later rounds?
2: Yeah,
1: I think the interesting thing for the Seahawks here is it's, It's all about, and it's the same with the pass rush, and it's the same with the running back, and it's the same with the offensive line. They have got to work out in this draft because they've got a few things they need to get done here. They've got a few positions they need to tick off along the way. And it's working out the puzzle of where do you draft a certain position in a certain range? With the receivers, it's deep throughout. So you could could take one with your first pick, but you could also get a really good guy probably in the third or the fourth round. So you've got to bear that in mind a little bit here. Right. You, you, It's it's a top-heavy running back class. Like As soon as the first five guys are gone, then you're not going to get a really good one. You might get a, a decent one who can come in and, and be like Mike Davis was a couple of years ago, but you, you're not going to get somebody who you really believe in who can be the future of the position. So you've got to weigh that up. You've got to weigh up the fact that the offensive tackles are going to come off the board quite quickly, so you might need to go with that position first if you want to take an offensive tackle with your first pick. And then with the pass rushes, you've kind of got to say, okay, it's the biggest need on the team, but where's the best place to take it? Because I don't think I don't think the right thing to do is to take a pass rusher first. Even if you trade down, I think the value of defensive line, defensive tackle or defensive end, is going to come in the late second and early third when the Seahawks have two picks. Mm-hmm. So it, it's about working out the range you want to go. And, and from the receiver position, I think you... You probably don't take one first up as, as appealing as maybe like a Jalen Rieger or a Denzel Mims or Brandon Ayuk. and I, I think Chase Claypool is gonna go very, very early. Um, I don't I, you know, is it is it one of those guys or do you wait to the end of the second or the third or the fourth mm-hmm. and say Brian Edwards is really, really good. He set all the records in South Carolina. Devin DuVernay at, at, at Texas is kinda of like a little golden tape. Um, you've got Limbowden and and people like that and you know, you you go down Joe Reed, who could be a kick returner for you as well. Um, you know, you, you, Desmond Patman. You know, you, there are there are other guys in there who are really really kind of fit what they look for, and, and maybe you can wait a little bit. Especially
2: time Philip Dorset.
0: Did you say Desmond Patman? Yeah, yeah, that's another. Yeah, he had a really good workout. Another Washington State guy. Um, yeah, do you think he'll be drafted, or would he be an undrafted guy?
1: No, I think he can there. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think it was same. because of the speed he could sneak because of the speed he could sneak in.
0: There. Yeah, so that's exciting to see that. Um tight ends, there's not a lot. It's that's not a very deep draft for tight ends. I do like I think we both are on the same page with Hunter Bryant. I think Cole Komet, who a lot of have the as the number one tight end, I think he might be a little bit overrated. Do you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the thing to look for with tight ends, and it's not just the Seahawks thing, this, if you actually go and look at the top tight ends in the league and the and the guys who you know, have been in the league recently and Gronk's coming back now and he's one of these, they all do well in the short shot in the, the short shot. the three cone and the short
2: shot. Yeah. So
1: the three cone, it's kind of in the 7.10 range. Mm-hmm. All of the top tight ends, you know, your Kelsey, your Gronk. Yeah, um, you have four
0: names that that fit this category. It's Adam Troutman, Charlie Tuma, whatever his name is, Dalton Keene and Hunter Bryant. So it's probably going to be one of those four if the Seahawks take a tight end, right?
2: Yeah,
1: they, they seem like the guys that are most likely. I think the other name that I would bring up, and the thing about Cole Komet just come back to him briefly, is he did not test well in the in the 3 cup. The, the other name that I would sort of throw in there is Devin Asiasi from um, UCLA, who oh. didn't do any of the testing. So we don't know how good he is because he didn't do the testing at the conference. But he's a really fluid, natural tight end. He just effortless. Runs the seam. He's got wonderful soft hands, big mitts that just absorb the football. Um, And he seems to be somebody who's rising a little bit. I had him listed. I think I had him listed in round four. Um, Okay. I think think that's the kind of range that he could sneak into round three. I think, He's a name to add to the list as well, even okay. though we don't know the
0: testing. List. We don't know. Yeah, we could guess. We could estimate. Um, and then, what about offensive linemen? Is this the case that they finally take some offensive linemen high? It just seems like every year we think, okay, this is they're going to get Russell some protection, and then they skip it for you know until you know day three a lot of times. So, is this the year the Seahawks finally take some offensive linemen?
1: Possibly so. I mean, the, the problem the Seahawks have got is that because they pick at the end of round one now the league has got a, a it's a league-wide problem nobody has very good offensive lines yeah I know it, I know it kind of feels like especially if that's an issue in the Seattle but it's an issue pretty much everywhere um, certain teams have done better than others um, the Colts for example but then they spent a top six pick on a guard so you know you'd expect them to <laughs> you know you'd expect yeah. them to have a good offensive line when they have the luxury of doing that with the Seahawks picking on average 29th overall, most of the good offensive linemen are gone.
2: Yeah. You're
1: going to see four or five go in the top 15 in the draft because teams just snap these guys up. And that could easily be the case again. You know, if you get to the end of round one and we're talking about guys like Austin Jackson and Ezra Cleveland and Isaiah Wilson and Josh Jones, if those guys are not there, then they're not going to be able to take one early. Cesar Ruiz is a guy that I really, really like. Interviewed him a, few, you know, a couple of weeks ago. You know, I don't know if he's going to be there. I don't think he, I don't think he will be there at 27. But if these guys are gone, then it, be, it makes it very hard to do. And the other quick point that I would make on this is that the Seahawks have, have draft, actually drafted quite a lot of young offensive linemen over the years. When you think about it, Russell Okung, uh, James Cunton, John Moffat, Justin Britt. Uh, Jermaine of Ooh, we don't like him.
0: <laughs> so many holding I penalties mean, think, for Feddy.
1: You know, you know all of these guys that they yeah. drafted early, right? And, and very few of them have amounted to really very much.
2: Yeah,
1: and I think I think they've. And look, people will say, "Well, is it a cable thing? Is it Mike Solares? Is it the Seahawks?" You know, what it's really, it's just a review of how difficult it is to find offensive linemen, if you mm-hmm. actually go through the list of offensive linemen that have been taken, I did a piece on this item, it was last year or the year before, and I wrote down every single offensive lineman that had been drafted after the Seahawks first picking it in the draft, and And I think there was something like four pro bowlers in eight drafts, or something like that. Wow. So, you're, you're trying to fight that, and to expect the Seahawks to have found one of the four, is you, you would hope that they would, but it's very difficult to to be that one of you know. There's, yeah. there's, there's 28 teams who did not pick one of those four, and and, the, and of the four, I think one of them was Trey Turner, who's just been traded by the Panthers. Mm. So it, even the teams that are hitting on these guys, Trey Turner, who's just gone to the Charges, they're trading them away. <laughs> so you know, it's 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 not it's it's very very difficult to find options in the draft, and it's one of the if people are wondering why the Seahawks have just signed eighteen different offensive linemen in It's because <laughs> yeah. it's because what they've decided is they're just gonna load up on yeah, um, the veterans and younger guys who are already in their program and they're going to say off you go have a fight it out we'll pick the five right. best
0: guys. It's kind of like my girlfriend uh, at her at, she works at the Channel 12 here and they just they hire a bunch of salesmen and throw a bunch against the wall and see who sticks. So I think it's probably the same with the offensive linemen for the Seahawks. They're just going to have a bunch of guys in there and see who can beat it out, right? Now one name I do want to mention on the for offensive alignment is a guy you interviewed, uh, Prince I I never say his last name, T the guy from Auburn. Vince Taker, what go. Yeah, what do you think? He's, now, what round could you get him in?
1: I think probably the second round.
2: Okay.
0: Um,
1: he, he's very athletic. I mean, he, he didn't have a chance to show that because he, he was injured. He, he got flagged at the senior bowl um, and then didn't, wasn't able to perform there and then wasn't healthy in time for the um, for the combat. He's very athletic, very tough, very physical. He's not the longest guy, I and mean, he's got 33-inch arms, but he, he's still enough. Um, you know, Joe Thomas had thirty three inch arms, and Ezra Cleveland's got thirty three inch arms. It's not it's not a, um, a problem, really. I Do you think, think he's really, got, really got that player. grit?
0: Do you think he's got that uh, determination, that it factor?
1: I think so. I mean, oh. I think that he's he doesn't have the backstory of Robert Hunt, who I should have mentioned in the right.
0: I think oh, Robert, Robert Hunt's Hunt going to
1: Hunt. go a lot. I think Robert Hunt's going to go a lot earlier than people think. I think Robert Hunt could go in the top forty five, and wow. you know, I did a seven. I did a seven round what draft on Sunday? I think it was. And, and had the Seahawks trading into you know down into round two as they often do and then taking Robert Hunt with the first pick hmm. because I, I just I just have a feeling that you know he's going to go a lot earlier than, than people realise um, he for me is is the grit factor Prince with the Prince he's gone through a lot it's a great, you know, yeah. great story coming over from Nigeria and, and doing all of that he's physical he is tough on the football field um, but he there's not necessarily the wow factor there
0: yeah What about defensive tackles? I've watched some of the defensive tackle tape. Uh, Not a lot of these prospects really jump out at me. Is there anybody that you're really excited about for the Seahawks to possibly draft for defensive tackle?
1: Devon Hamilton at Ohio State is the name that I would throw out there. He's, you know, people just pigeonhole him as a a nose tackle because he's 6'4 and 320 pounds. But what he actually has, he has 33 inch arms, so he can keep his frame clean. He gaps really really well he can anchor the line but he can shoot a gap and get into the backfield Um, he had ten and a half tackles for a loss last season and six sacks which for any defensive tackle is a great tally for a guy who's 320 pounds it is really really good I can't believe he's flown under the radar as much as he has especially Mm. because he was at at Ohio State Um, at the Senior Bowl he won 73% of his 1v1s uh, according to Pro Football Focus Okay. That was the second that was the second highest win percentage of any of the pass rushers and the guy who was ahead of him was Zach Bourne from Wisconsin who was two hundred and thirty eight pounds. Now if you put a two hundred and thirty eight pound speed rusher uh against a three hundred pound offensive lineman in space and say, Can the two hundred and thirty eight pound guy run around him? the answer will be yes. So we're kind of Zach Bourne performing well in that test is to be expected. For Devon sure. Hamilton at three hundred and hundred and twenty pounds wow. to be two percent off being the best defensive lineman in terms of those 1v1s is special. And then the other thing you've got to remember is that all oh, see these people talking up Ross Blacklock and Jordan Elliott and Neville Gallimore and I don't get it. Well, Ross Blacklock had the same win percentage which was 12.6% um, in college football last season as Devon Hamilton. Except Devon Hamilton weighs 30 pounds more. <laughs> so if you want someone who can anchor your line and if you want someone who can anchor your line play the run but then also provide some pass rush, I think Devon Hamilton is the guy to target.
0: Okay. That's another one. And one for defensive ends, um, because I think besides QB and offensive tackle, I think pass rushing edge is one of the most valuable positions for a team. And it seems like it's hard to find those mid-level prospects for this position. Like, same with offensive uh, tackle and quarterback. You almost have to use a high pick to get that talent. So obviously Chase Young, he's good. He'll be gone. But who's the best after him? You you mentioned a few names on your site. Josh, Uche, Julian Aquara, Jabari Zuniga, Daryl Taylor, and Travis Gibson. You think one of those five could be somebody the Seahawks take?
1: Yeah. I think that Josh Uche is probably the, the most natural edge rusher of, of all of the, of the guys, apart from Chase Young. And that holds up in pressure percentage and pass rush win percentage. They both have very similar scores there. His ability to bend and straighten off the edge, get around the tackle, strength, quarterback. Is, is as good as anybody in this class. The only problem is, is that he's slightly undersized. Didn't have a you know you kind of wonder sometimes why he, it took him so long to get going at Michigan and find his role there. Um, but he's a player the Seahawks could easily trade back into the top of round two and, and take him. Mm. Julian Acuarez, you know, is is stronger than he looks. He's quick. He looks like a Leo. His pass rush win percentage is good. Dubai uh, Zaniga played a little bit more inside. But you know he's got like a Greek god frame. Yeah. And uh was was very good test with very explosive, explosive, very fast. Yeah, yeah very fast.
0: What, do you think he'd be uh, in combine. round two, maybe bottom round two?
1: Round two, I think. I yeah. mean he, okay. I think I think he could go top forty five just because of the testing, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if he was there like fifty nine for the Seahawks if they wanted him. Wow. Um and then you you know, you mentioned Daryl Taylor. The thing about Daryl Taylor is he he could be amazing. He could be the best pass rusher in this whole draft.
2: Wow! You know he's
1: two hundred. He's like two hundred and sixty-seven pounds, six 33 inch arms. If you watch his, if you took his ten best plays from twenty nineteen and put them in a highlight video, you'd think you were watching Chase Young. The problem is when you actually watch the tape, it's a lot more underwhelming. You know he's hmm. not consistent. He's not. He has a flash here and there, but he doesn't really know what to do with his frame and his athletic potential. He's kind of all over the place. And he has his wins because of his athleticism, but he needs to refine his technique.
2: But if you bring
1: him in and add him to the rotation as, a, let's say, a third-round pick, you could be looking at another Frank Clark in a couple of years' time. He, he's got that level of potential to develop into someone like Frank. Um, so someone's going to take a chance on him. He's got an injury background, which could put teams off, especially in this draft. But he is somebody to keep an eye on for sure. Okay. I would say in uh, in round three.
0: Ah, I, I like being able to get somebody like that in the mid mid rounds. That's always nice. And and Gibson, do you think he's also a mid round guy or late round?
1: Yeah, he's a Seahawks fan, so it'd be nice oh. to draft him. Chase, Chase Claypool is a Seahawks fan as well, actually.
0: Ah, actually he grew up
1: in Abbotsford. That's right. And then um, and then um, so yeah, I think that uh, I think he he's another option. I think that there's a lot of overrated defensive linemen in this draft as well. You know, mm-hmm. you, know you often hear, you know, Gross Matos. Is, I don't think he's as good as everybody's saying. AJ Fernandez, not as good as everybody's saying. on Chason, Blacklock, Elliot Gilmore, who I mentioned earlier. You know, I yeah. think there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of um, red herrings out there. Okay, um, but you know, there's, there are some guys and the, the names we've talked about real potential to come in and uh, and help the team.
0: Yeah, well, we also need uh, maybe some linebackers. I know you're a big uh, fan of Willie Gay, linebacker from Mississippi. You said he's very similar to Bobby Wagner, um, and he could actually play any linebacker position. Um, but some other names you mentioned were um, Kenneth Murray, Patrick Queen, Logan Wilson, Malik Harrison, and Davion Taylor. You want to talk about those guys? Yeah, so
1: Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, well, they're going to go in the first round, so sure, they're yeah. probably not likely.
0: probably be gone. But, you
1: know, the, the one – Logan Wilson is amazing. Like his, he has a, a whole bag of interceptions over the last few years. He was a three-year captain of thing. He ran a four-six. Um a so really fast, you know, a big linebacker. Um, does not get blocked to the perimeter, which the Seahawks badly need some of that. Um, he will shed blocks. He can sit through traffic. He's like a heat-seeking missile to the ball carrier. He's he's a he's a quiet, measured leader. You know, who leads by example. Family guy. You know, he's just, he's, he's like a, some people will say like a perfect player, really. And um, and I, I could see him going a lot earlier than I, round two for him. It's probably very, very likely. Um, Willie Gay is also, you, you mentioned that, fantastic in coverage, identical to Bobby Wagner. Malik Harrison's probably more of that 3 4 middle linebacker type. You know, there's, you put him next mm. to another guy in the middle, you have him play the run well, stuff like that, north-south type linebacker. I don't think he's a sideline-to-sideline side guy. But he tested very well in the 3 Um He's kind of got a similar frame to KJ Wright. And if they wanted to, you know, get the next KJ, he's very tough. You know, he likes a big hit. So, you know, he's somebody who could be there. Davion Taylor's just lightning quick, gets around the field, and they need some speed on that front seven. So, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to draft a linebacker having taken two a year ago. But um, there are definitely
0: some options there. Yeah, definitely some options. And then also cornerbacks, it seems like less of a need now that they got uh, Dunbar from the Redskins. But I really like C.J. Henderson um, But for a top pick. And then the mid- mid uh, to late-round guys, I like uh, Kendall Vidor and Reggie Robinson. But you didn't have those guys on your list. Did they not have the – I know there's certain uh, uh, arm length that the Seahawks like. Do they not have that arm length?
1: Vidor does, but he's 5'10", and the Seahawks have a strict – <clears throat> five eleven or taller mm. um, policy, and then and, and actually, there's gaps of reference that. I think if you watch the Russell Wilson, it's like a video on YouTube from ESPN called "Finding Russell Wilson" or something, and mm. um, that somebody says if you want to draft a quarterback at five ten. We're not mm. even allowed to draft. A, we're not even allowed to draft a cornerback at five. <laughs> um, and you know, so that's why I, I've left him off. Um, Robertson has got the arm length. Um, for me, this is, this is a really limited cornerback, and I think that's why they went and got Dunbar. I think people just assume they went and got Dunbar because PFF said he's the second-best cornerback in the, in the league. I think they went and got Dunbar because they looked at this draft and said, we, we'd like to spend a fifth-round pick on a cornerback, but they're just that guy is not there in mm. this draft.
2: Yeah. You
1: know, there just aren't the 32-inch draft. But I, I, what I will say is that they need a nickel, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there some nickel. there are some nickel prospects in this draft that I would expect them to to go after and and seriously consider. Amik Robertson, who I spoke to last week, is is certainly somewhere near the top of that list, I would say, as somebody that they can really go after. Um, And and there are one or two, you know, Terrell Burgess at Utah. Um, You've got the guy at Penn State. And and there's there's one or two others who could really, you know, be attractive options to them.
0: Isn't Burgess more of a safety, though? Are they going to use him at corner, you're thinking?
1: He played safety and corner at Utah, but the belief is that he's going to be in
0: the – the belief is he's going to be in the next level. Okay, and then so – and as far as safeties go, I really like – I kind of like the Kenny Robinson kid, who I guess he was actually at West Virginia, but then he was in the XFL. Is that kid somebody that's rising up on the boards? I mean, he didn't get a chance to do a workout probably because he was XFL, but do you think he – might be somebody that gets drafted? He was on your list, I think, as possible Seahawks draft picks, right?
1: Yeah I, I put him in round 3 he's he's mm. very much um you know big hitter gets flagged but you know sometimes that's okay you know um rangey turns the ball over um interesting route through to the NFL you know going to the XFL I could certainly see him going in
2: uh,
1: <clears throat> in the third round range and then there's like a few other guys as well that you
2: know
1: Antoine Winfield, you, you he had a, he had a
0: really good uh, combine oh. yeah He's amazing. Yeah. Like, if he doesn't
1: go in the first round, then, um, it, it'll be, I'll be disappointed for him because he has got everything, you know, mm-hmm. mature, high character, bloodlines from his dad, of course, great college career, mass production at Minnesota. He's going to be a leader for you. He can fly around the field, amazing combine. He, he's, he could be Earl Thomas if you wanted to be. You know, he mm, he's, he's really, really, he's really, really good. <sighs> really, really good player. And um and, and there was a, a while back there was some something about an injury thing and maybe he might last a little bit longer than he otherwise would. Um, But I think the floor for him is top 50.
0: Okay. Wow. That's, yeah, there's still a lot of good choices there. Jeremy Chin, Grant Delpit, D- Kyle Duggar, some of those guys could be a good fit for the Seahawks. It just depends on, we have so many other needs though. I don't know that safety is necessarily a top need right now, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you've got to prioritize the positions I think because you, you've you drafted a player that had safety in the round two within a year. You've traded for Quandre Diggs. You've still got Brandon McDougal. You've still got Lado Hill. So it's a position they might look at later on, but ultimately they've, they've got to you know they've got to draft an offensive lineman at least. They've got to draft a running back. They've got to draft a receiver. They've got to draft a pass rusher. They've got to draft a defensive tackle. And yeah. you can only have so many picks,
0: right? What about? Um, I think that's every position we talked about. What except uh, special teams? Do you think there's any kickers or punters or long snappers you want to mention
1: now? No, I mean the the only sort of special team. You know, I think it's it's the receivers who can become kick returners.
0: Oh, like Antonio it, Gibson. It, you know, it. Did we mention him yeah, before? And, and, <laughs> I really he like that
2: do it.
1: And, Yeah, a lot of people like him, and, and he could do that. And Joe Reed at Virginia was was like all ACC and keep returning. And, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of these guys. You know, Devin DuVernay could do it. LaVisca Cheneau could do it. Brian Edwards could do it. Ayuk, uh, Hamler, Riga, C.D. Lamb. Um, you know, these are all guys who could be return guys. Henry Ruggs. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of options there for the Seahawks to go and get a receiver who can do that role as well.
0: So, what is your ideal, like realistic situation for the Seahawks in the draft this year? Like, what would you do? That's harder to
1: answer than it has been in previous years. You know, like in um, in other drafts, it's been easy to say they need an offensive tackle or they need a they need to go and get a r- receiver or you know, like a couple of years ago, I spent whole draft season talking about running backs because you know.
0: I lost you there for a second. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's all right. Uh, you were saying about the Seahawks, uh, what you uh, want them to do.
1: Yeah. So um, they could go and get an offensive tackle, and that's either to play right tackle and compete with Shell, um, And that could be an Isaiah Wilson, or, or it could be a Robert Hunt. Um, or they could go and get a left, a left tackle to go and, and potentially um, replace Dwayne Brown down the line or something like that. Um, and that could be Ezra Cleveland or an Austin Jackson or a Josh Jones. It, it could be that they go and get Jonathan Taylor and, and just get a really good player to play running back, or a Clyde edwards alaire um receiver's going to be a need there, or trade down and get a pass rusher. You know, I think that what I want the perfect situation for me for the Seahawks is to come out of this having bolstered your defensive line. Um, but there are many different ways they can do that,
2: hmm.
1: and to have ticked off all those needs to come out of the draft with a running back that you really like, to come out of the draft with a receiver that you really like, to come out of the draft with. An offensive lineman, and if it's not someone early, it's it's someone like a Sidich, maybe at LSU, who's going to be available a lot later on, but has played left tackle has got that potential to play left tackle in the NFL as well. that You can train behind Wayne Brown, so it's it's to come out with. I want the Seahawks to come out of this draft like you feel like they've got some some really good young talent. You know, when they came out of the draft last year, and, and DK Metcalf has you know an amazing potential. You know, you just you could look at him and you say, look, and he's run a four three three. And he's 230 pounds, and he looks amazing. And he, you know, he's got so much upside. And he went and delivered a great rookie season. And the kind of what I want to see from from the players they draft this year is that same excitement, is the belief that they could actually become great players, not just fill holes or, or fill, you know, like we want this. He's our type right. of guy. I want to see them draft players who you really think he's got the shot to be great.
0: That, and, so that's and why that, I love Taylor as a pick because I just think he's so exciting. There's not a lot to get excited about l j. Collier do you think he'll get better this year maybe
1: um uh, maybe i hope so he, <laughs> he needs to be i think he he has to prove that he he's he, i mean he could be gone within a year so right. he has to prove that he belongs um and he and he's not just lawrence i mean he's not even lawrence jackson at the moment yeah. i mean he's, he's uh he's like he's like a a kensman bomber at the moment and um yeah. He's, he's, he's he better, he better be ready. So you know, what
0: do you, to yeah. Though. So now you, you've you said kind of what you want the Seahawks to, but what do you think they're actually going to do? Cause it seems like they never do what I want them to do. They never take the guys that I like or that I want. So do you think they'll take some linemen that, that maybe is even on your list? Did you have Collier on your list last year? I don't remember him being on there. Yeah, you did. Okay. So, um, I
1: mean, I read, I read ready last night. I think just, I was just sort of reminding myself what I did. I didn't want to, Leave anything out that I'd done the year before, um, so I kind of reviewed it, and he was on the list. You know, I, I said that he could be a target because he looks like Michael Bennett, um. and, and that's and, uh, you know. But he was on a long list, you know, of, of, of players. It wasn't it wasn't like I just singled him out. Sure, um, it was it was he was on a list of five or six defensive linemen that they could target for their first pick. Um, and know we talked about Marquis Blair, and 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 amongst the players who might fall, I, I had. T- off and say, you know, because he got a neck injury and there was the three cone and stuff like that, and and you know we thought that he may be too tempting to pass up if he was there, you know, at a, at a certain range, you know, in round two or something like that. So we did hit on a couple of those, uh, and, and Marquis Blair as well. We talked an awful lot about him throughout the season because of his hitting and his and his speed. Um, so I, you know, I'm not expecting them to necessarily draft someone I'm not considering. Um, it's just a case of of who and what you know to answer the question of what I think they will do. I I think I don't want to sound like a stuck record. It it could be what, you know, I think I can, I think we've kind of gone through the players that they could go for.
2: Yeah.
1: But it it depends on, like, let me just give you a scenario, for example. I think they really like, I think they probably will really like Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. But if Tampa Bay trades down from 14 to, let's say, 21, let's say the Eagles want to move up and get Henry Ruggs before Denver. If then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers trade down to 21 and they take Jonathan Taylor, you, you can't do anything about that. Right. Like he'll be gone. He'll be gone and he'll be off the board and, and you move on. So then what do you do then? Then, then do you trade down and, and look at Josh Uche or Robert Hunt or one of the tackles? Do you, do you trade down a couple of spots and try and get an Ezra Cleveland or an Austin Jack? You know, there's, there's all sorts. Of, like you could see, if, let's say they wanted to get an, a really good left tackle who could replace Dwayne Brown. But if the Cleveland Browns trade down and take Ezra Cleveland, and then let's say Minnesota take Austin Jackson, then what are you going to do? You can't go that route. So they're going to be dictated to by what happens in front of them. Yeah, and they and don't trade up be,
0: very often, do they? They don't. They haven't uh, done that in a long time, if ever. I don't think Schneider's ever done that, has he? In round one.
1: And the and the and the, and the reason is quite simple. Why they don't do it in round one is because if you to move up you know, rounds. Three, which they've done a few times, Cody Barton, Tyler Lockett, and, and, then, and then to move up in round two, DK Metcalf, Jaron um, Reed. It cost you a fourth-round pick, mm-hmm. and that's a late fourth. That's a late fourth-round pick, and that's out of the general meat of the draft in any given year. So in, it doesn't matter what the draft class is. Usually, when you're talking about late fourth-round picks, you're not talking about players that you have to have. By that point in the draft, you are looking for ideals and potential and guys that you would like to develop. In the first three rounds, you're looking for your guys. You're looking for your guys that you've got a ring around that you want to come out of the draft with. And if you move up in round one, at the very minimum it's going to cost you is a third round pick. And John Schneider does not want to give away a premium third round pick to go and get one specific player. He wants to have as many of those third round picks as possible. And he definitely doesn't want to lose the one that he's got this year just to move up a few spots to get a specific player when he will have about 20 players of the same value at when the Seahawks are on the board at 27. And that's because that's the way, if you look at the horizontal board, there's like 18 first round grades that I, I put down. Yes, you, uh,
0: did. You, you have a great job. You go to your website. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, so when you look at what, what that means is that really the first round is picks 1 to 18. hmm. Second round, the second round starts at pick 19. Because that's where the talent starts coming. The value, the yeah, the value is the same. And so you're I've saying it's better for them to
0: change. 40 to, guys. Yeah, it's better for them to trade down. There's a lot uh, because the, the value in round two is going to be comparable from the beginning to the end of round two, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So but the value between like pick 19 and pick 60 is going to be very similar.
0: But unless, so, like you know, one of those guys that you mentioned, its picks one through eighteen falls to us at twenty seven, we sh- we might just want to take whoever that is right away, right?
1: Yeah, possibly so. I think there's you know there there are players in this draft where they could feel that way. Yeah, and it also depends. Like it's, it's little things like you know, you and I might like a player. Let's say you know, so. I like Jonathan Taylor. You like Jonathan Taylor.
2: Yeah, we like love the him. idea
1: of the <laughs> So so we like the idea of the Seahawks drafting Jonathan Taylor. What if the team have the same grade on Jonathan Taylor that they have on Clyde Edwards helaire So they've mm-hmm. got this exact same grade. So they've got. Let's just imagine a scenario where they both have the same grade and they're on the clock at 27. And let's say that they know that Baltimore's not going to take a running back and Tennessee's not going to take a running back. So they can trade two spots and feel confident that they may both be there. But if one goes off the board, they can still get the other one. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it's totally, That's how yeah. they judge these things. Yeah. And and that's and they've done that before. So they traded down I mean twenty twelve. They traded down knowing they could get, funnily enough, Bobby Wagner or Michael Kendricks.
0: And then they ended in, up getting both of them later.
1: <laughs> and they ended up getting both.
0: Yeah.
2: In
1: twenty in twenty thirteen they traded down because Eddie Lacy and Kristen Michael were on the board. And they and then Eddie Lacey came off and then the next pick I think was Kristen Michael after that. Mm. So they you know, hmm. they have bunches of players. Who are similarly graded, and they and they and they traded down um, a couple of years ago. Rashim Green, so there was Sam Hubbard and Rashim Green. They traded down a few spots. Sam Hubbard came off the board. They took Rasheem Green. So know. they have they have these the players of a similar grade. And then you move down, knowing that you can get a, get get at least one. So that's the you know that that's the kind of position you're in. If you have two or three or four or five players who are graded the same way when you're on the board, and you trade down a few spots, you do that because you feel confident you're going to get at least one of the guys that you really right. really want.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. Well, I hope they make the right decision. I hope we get some marquee players this year. Um, I do like to wrap up each episode with a charity. Do you have a nonprofit or a cause that you work with right now?
1: Um. Do you know what I I I, did a, I filmed um, a piece a, a few days ago um, at, at a charity, and this you know people will not know of this charity other than um, those who live near me in mm-hmm. England. Um, but it, it was the Ashgate Hospice, and they were they were looking after some people um, in in their you know it, it, it's a hospice for people who are very seriously ill, but they've mm-hmm. actually just. Turned one of their turned one of their wards into a coronavirus ward um mm. and they are accepting patients there because obviously there's a lot of sick people at the moment yeah. and the hospitals are are um are under a lot of pressure so oh. I, you know if, if people want to you know they' they told me they were going to be half a million pounds down um because of the they're not getting donations and they're not able to oh. fundraise in the way they usually would so um I, I thought I'd give them a shout out.
0: That's awesome. Thank you, Rob. Well, we enjoy your work on the CX Draft blog. I think you do an amazing job there. And I look forward to your analysis of the picks this year after it's all said and done. Thank you so much for doing my podcast. What does the future hold for you? Would your Would your dream job be an NFL draft analyst for ESPN or NFL Network?
1: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I don't think that there, there'll be a huge demand for a, um, a champ with a British accent. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love they- it. It's great know you know, yeah. the, you know the, i i think it would be a perfect compliment to mel's kuyper's crazy hair yeah uh, but you know but 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 you know i i i just love i, I love the fact that um people care what a, a bloke from england thinks about all this stuff and and you know i, I thoroughly enjoyed it i love doing podcasts like this because yeah. you know I, I i don't know many seahawks fans where i live there are a lot of people who who, i spot you know wearing seahawks hats and jerseys and stuff like that these days in england but um they're a very popular team in england but um i don't have much opportunity to discuss the team so any any invite to a podcast is always is always well received oh uh, yeah you can
0: call me anytime if you want to just talk i'd love to talk Seahawks. i could talk seahawks every day for an hour we could do this every (laughs) at least once a week so and if i'm ever in england i'm gonna have to look you up and have a beer with you or something
1: Definitely, yeah. I'm always up for a beer.
0: Okay, well, thanks, man. I appreciate it so much. You have a good day. Or good night, I guess thanks, it man. should be for you, right? Thank you. Okay. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Cheers. I'm bad, man. But thank you for your, thanks for your time, man. Thank no you. problem. Go
0: Hawks. Well, there you have it. Uh, Rob Staten from Seahawks Draft Blog website, and he's also a BBC uh, Yorkshire sports journalist, uh, knows his stuff. Like, again, I can't imagine anyone else knowing more about the Seahawks and the draft and predicting what they're going to do. He knows everything. He's breaking out on these formulas. I mean, you heard him. He's amazing. So if you made it through this episode, congratulations. If you enjoyed it, uh, make sure to follow Rob on social media. He's on Twitter. Uh, you can check out his Seahawks uh, draft website. I think he might, I don't think he has a Facebook. Uh, I know he's on Twitter though. Big, big on Twitter. He's got like thousands and thousands of followers. Uh, I am on all the social medias. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything. So if you like uh he, Rob is also on YouTube and I'm on YouTube as well. Rob has some interviews on YouTube and that's where you can hear some of the interviews he mentioned in this episode. Um it'll be interesting to see what happens in the actual draft if you're listening to this after the draft, then you can, you know, years later you can say, "Oh, Rob didn't know anything," but um you know, it's harder to do that uh before the draft. So this is uh, recorded the day before the NFL draft 2020. So Um, Again, if you enjoyed this, hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any more episodes. Until next time.